617 respond to reports of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to the men and women working the field of death investigation. Still the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to death investigation, and I think we're doing a fine job. We've been at this for, well, since 2014, so uh, here just a couple of months will be our five-year anniversary of bringing you the Corner Talk podcast, and I am so proud that this is still on the air. We've had some ups and downs, you know, five years, a lot of things can happen, but we're still here. We're still behind the mic, and I'm still trying to provide the best training and conversations that I can to you, the field of death investigation supporting roles such as police, fire, EMS, even got some authors and some playwrights on here that actually like to listen into the show to know kind of how to do the job correctly and what it kind of entails. And so if you're new to the show and this is your first time that you've ever tuned in, I like to say give us three shows and you'll find a fit. Maybe you don't like this show. Maybe what I'm getting ready to talk about with Adam Wilson is not something that you really are interested in. But I guarantee you, you give us three shows, you'll find a fit. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to be talking to, I'm going to be talking to Adam Wilson. Now, he's a police sergeant in North Carolina. He comes from humble beginnings. He tells his story. It's a very good story. And he wrote a book called Tactical Reload, and it's kind of geared towards supervisors or supervision, things like that. And it's relevant. We talk a lot about law enforcement realm, and I pull it back in with coroner medical examiner as well. But it's very relevant because what police officers go through and what coroner medical examiner investigators go through and homicide detectives go through, we all are one family. We all go through the same thing. Maybe things are a little different in EMS and fire, but not really because they number one, face some of the same ups and downs. They have new recruits. They have people that they deal with. You know, we talk about millennials, not only in the service of police, fire, things like that, but also that we're dealing with on the street. We talk about the Ferguson effect. We talk about a lot of things that I guarantee you, you will find interesting. And I do mention his book towards the end. And if you'll stay to the end of the episode, I'm going to tell you how you can get your free copy of tactical reload. But I also want to mention and remind you that if you are in the northeastern part of the United States, like in Maine or somewhere where you could get to Rockland, Maine, the first week of October 2019, there's a three-day training, medical legal death investigator training, which I'm doing there at Rockland, Maine. You can find information about it on the ditacademy.org, the Death Investigation Training Academy website. And also the first week of December, I'm going to be in Mississippi, Pearl, Mississippi, at the State Medical Examiner's Office, also doing a three-day training. And I do believe that can be open up to investigators and others in the area around Mississippi. You'll have to contact, either contact me or contact the Mississippi Medical Examiner's Office directly. They can tell you how you can be a part of that training. And of course, we have every other month, we host our online session, a 40-hour medical legal course. We got a lot of stuff going on. If you would like to have training brought to your state, your office, 
contact me. We'd love to do that. We're setting up some other dates as we speak where I'll come in, I'll teach the class, and then, of course, you can have some of your officers, some of your investigators there for free while we open it up to those around you. We've got several locations in Missouri we're teaching a class, and then, of course, we've got several states throughout the year. So if you want to, to, uh, me to come to you, we want to bring the medical legal class to you so you don't have to pay travel, I'm willing to do that, and it's a real easy way to do it, and it's seamless in setting it up and getting me there. And, of course, that goes for South Africa and Australia. Well, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll go to anywhere if you want me there. But I am really, really on my bucket list wanting to go to South Africa and Australia. Those are two things that, uh, two places that are on my bucket list to visit. I would love to visit there. So if you're in those two countries and you want a medical legal death investigation class, I would love to help you doing that. The first week of August, I'm having 20 South Korean National Police come to our facility here in Missouri. So that's going to be interesting. We're going to be teaching two weeks. We're going to be teaching through an interpreter and we have some mock scenes and things like that. It's going to be a really good two weeks. So we have 20 South Korean National Police coming to Missouri. It's been a few months getting this set up, getting everything you know can imagine. There's a lot to set up to get that many people over here, visas and things like that. So anyway, it's done. It's arranged. They're coming. It's going to be a great time. So again, you can come to us or we'll come to you. We have great training, nationally accredited training, and we can provide you any training that you need in and around the medical legal death investigation field. And the last thing I'll mention before we have our conversation with Adam Wilson, I want to remind you about the Death Investigator Magazine. If you've not got your subscription yet, it is one year old. We're celebrating our one year anniversary in July of 2019. It has been a great ride. It's been an amazing year. The magazine is growing and growing. We've got a lot of great writers. If you have not gotten your subscription or you're a Kickstarter supporter and you need to renew your subscription, go to deathinvestigatormagazine.com and click on subscribe and you'll get the information you need to subscribe. A year is only $24. It's not as though we're really getting deep into your pockets. And you're getting some great articles, some great information. We try to list all events around the country, which brings up another point. If you're having an event, a training, a conference, something that is open to the public, and you want it listed in the Death Investigator magazine, we do that for free. All you have to do is send us an email, cornertalk.com, click on the contact link, whatever. Let us know. When it's where it's at, when it is, give us a website link that we can go pull the information off of and we will list you in the magazine. So people all across the country can look at the events and say, oh, I got something coming near me. I would like to check into that further and they can link to it from the magazine. So we'll do all of that for you for free. If you have a training event or a conference anywhere in the world, we will be glad to list it in our magazine. All right, so without any further conversation and rambling by me, let's get into the conversation I had with Adam Wilson. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, we're back, and I'd like to welcome Adam Wilson to the show. Adam, welcome to the Corner Talk podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on here. So I've introduced you a little bit, um, just probably a 30,000-foot view, uh, but why don't you take time, tell us a little about your history. I know you're in law enforcement, but then you, you know, you've written this book and become kind of a leader in the industry on police leadership and things like that. Tell us how that came about, what you're doing now, and what brought you to here. 
Oh man, it's a uh, that is a that is a very very long story. Uh, well, it started back how I got into policing was I had got into NC State. How I had no idea, but I got into NC State and I tried kind of various majors and I went from one thing to the other. I got the, and like a lot of cops, I had the attention span of a gnat. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it was just kind of floating around. Nothing seemed to really fit. And then I took a, a legal class uh, and I, I really liked it. And I thought, man, this is, this is kind of fun. I felt like I, it was a natural fit for me, but uh, unfortunately Financial aid came through that year, and um, you know you got to pay you got to pay NC State money to keep going there, and it just wasn't enough cash flow to to keep attending. So back I came uh, to Dallas, North Carolina, and start started back working at Chili's. And uh, one day, uh, me and some friends were having lunch, and a guy walks in, and he says that he's a cop, and so I just started kind of digging, asking some questions. And I just asked, you know, what kind of degree do you have to have? You know, do you have to have perfect credit? Do you have to have a perfect background? You probably have, have to have some kind of great references. And and he was like, no, none of that, really. Um, you just got to go to rookie school. And so then I thought, well, you know, what is rookie school? So I started looking into it. And lo and behold, that's, that's where my path took me. And I got into rookie school. Um, and, you know, it was just a it was it was it was an immediate recognition of this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is fun. I'm getting you know I'm getting to drive cars, you know, running over cones and and uh, you know I'm shooting guns and I'm you know everything I'm I'm hearing about I'm, is really interesting and I'm actually engaged in the in the classroom portions and and you know I don't I don't feel like my wheels are just spinning and so. Um, and while I was in rookie school, I was working full time at the same time because unlike a lot of my classmates, I didn't have a full time. I didn't I didn't get hired with an agency and then get sent to rookie school, which is our BLET, basic law enforcement training. And so you have one year from graduation to find a police job. Well, fortunately, my small my small town of, of Dallas, NC, uh, the police department there picked me up first off as a part time dispatcher. And then once an opening came uh, became available. Uh, they they slid me in, into that spot and uh, and that started my that started my police career and and I did that for about three and a half years. Um, <clears throat> you know the small town police is small town policing is a is a different animal. It's it, it but it, it it learned I learned uh, I learned a lot from that just the because you are you're responsible for everything. Any I mean, it, no matter what cause there's not you know. There's not CSI or DTECs to come in. It's you handle it. So you get exposed to a lot, even though it's a small town. But I eventually left there and went to my my agency now in Gastonia. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a mid-career guy now. And I, I started out, well, once I started talking to the rookies and guys going to rookie school, I kind of started giving pieces of advice of, of what I would have wanted to know or what I wish I would have known when I first started. And, you know, I thought, well, man, I would I would get out of that meeting and think, well, I should have said this. I should have said that. So I thought, you know what? I probably need to just go write this stuff down. So I went home and I and I started just jotting down notes. Nothing just in a word document. Nothing, um, you know, nothing. Uh, no kind of uh, no kind of format to it. Just, you know, little notes. And it eventually all of a sudden, you know, it's almost like 
you know, and I laugh about it, but it was kind of therapeutic in the fact of I got it out of my head and on the paper and it was like, ah, like I didn't have to think about it anymore. Like, Hey, remember this, remember that it was done with. And so I was like, man, I kind of liked it actually. And so all of a sudden, you know, two, 300 words turned into two or 3000 words, then 20,000 words. And I thought, man, I may actually have something here. And I let a couple of people read it and they agreed. But I was like, well, you know, cops are pretty cynical, man. Like the people I had let read it, they wasn't, they were not cops. So I was like, well, I got to let some police read this because, you know, they're the real judges. And so I let somebody that's affiliated with police read it. He's not, he's not necessarily police, but it was Dave Grossman. Uh, and Dave travels the country. I mean, he's trained more police than anybody, I, you know, that may be out there. And I thought, man, if, if this guy says that, that I have something, then I've got something. And he, he read it and he said, not only is it good. He's like, I want to write the forward. And, uh, and his quotes on the front of the books, uh, he said, it's one of the best books that's been written on the topic of, of kind of the, the future of law enforcement and leadership. And, and, uh, and yeah, and I know that's kind of a cliff notes version, but that's kind of where, how I got here today. It, it was never, there was never nothing in the plans to be sitting here talking to you a couple of years ago. It just, everything kind of started snowballing. And, and I've been just kind of riding this wave of opportunity ever since then, just kind of seeing where it's taken me. Well, you know, you've, what you just mentioned there, you just had an opportunity and you just walked through it, you know, and, and, you know, our listeners are police officers, coroners, medical examiner, investigators. And then we have some other people who listen to the show that are, you know, students of the forensic science or authors and writers, people trying to make sure that they, they write the story correctly and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted you on the show about is because you've had a, you know, a career in law enforcement, your mid career, but you've been in your in a supervisory position now. And in, in it, you know, we want to talk more about your book, but some of the principles in your book applies to us in our jobs. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull out some of the points uh, of your, of your book, because that's our talking points of the day. Um, sure. And, and then, and then how, how it applies to us. You know, you talk about the embarrassment school and it's a rite of passage. Well, explain what embarrassment school is and why is that a rite of passage? So whenever, whenever I was in my small town, um, I was, you know, I was put into a, a lot of situations where, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a, there wasn't a structured kind of field training program. So a lot of times you would be on your own for a lot of things. And there were many occasions where, you know, you just kind of get thrown out there and learn how to swim. And, and, and there's a lot of times in there where, you know, I will be by myself on a on my first DWI, just trying to figure it out. And a lot of times, you just get embarrassed, right? So I went and, like for once. I took uh, like for an instance, I took a guy to jail on a warrant. I knew he had a warrant, didn't know how to serve the warrant, right? So I go to I get to the jail after he had shown me how to how to search him. He taught me on the roadside how to do it, and then I uh, I get to the jail and my sergeant. He said, he just told me to hand him my blues. Back then, all of our forms were color-coded. And so I just hand the magistrate my blue sheet, which was an arrest sheet that had nothing to do. And he was just like, what the hell is this? And I was just like, I don't know, man. Just help me out and tell me what you need. Like, I would do what, I have no clue what I'm doing. And so it was kind of uh, learn by trial and, uh, and error for a while. And so, so, so about that embarrassment, I had quit so much stuff 
prior to this point. And I have been I have been down on my luck on several occasions. And so in those moments of embarrassment, I dug down and thought, you know what, no matter how embarrassed I get, no matter how hard it gets, I'm never, ever going to quit or give up. And every time I got embarrassed or a mistake was made, I learned from it. And after a while, you 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 get not calloused to being embarrassed, but you you're not afraid. You become not afraid of it. So you're 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 more willing to take a chance and put this, put yourself out there. Because cops, as you know, I mean, we can be our you know, it can be a, a brutal culture and you know just the picking on each other and having a good time with it. But nobody wants to be the be the uh, the butt of the joke. And right. so, and in law enforcement, uh, their law enforcement as a whole is really good about quarterbacking each other. And and you think the church ladies are the biggest gossip group? A bunch um, of cops are the biggest gossip group, straight up. That is that without a doubt. But you know, I don't know if it's a culture thing or if it's just the type of personality that's drawn to the profession. But that is such that is a fact. It right. is. It is. Uh, like a bunch of gossiping hens, you know what I mean? It's just like it's it's the uh, you can go to a to a uh, to a barber shop or a uh, or a hairstyling place and not hear as much gossip as you would from uh, right. a bunch of cops, right? And one thing you mentioned there is you know starting out as small as a small department. You know, there are way more small departments in the United States and across the world actually than there are mm-hmm. large departments, and their FTO programs. Are limited. Some of them are really sure. good, and some of them are not. And and whether it be a police department or, or even there's coroner's offices where they may have just a few investigators. The person has some training, but they throw them out there, and they just have to learn a trial by fire. And so this embarrassment factor. What I like, what I hear of that is, just try it, just do it. It, it you you know you can't mess up too bad. Just do it. And Absolutely. and I'm a big proponent in being, uh, you know, being the person that says. Just try it. If you got an idea, if you want to succeed, just push, 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 and try it. And you learn as you go. And some people want to know all the facts. Well, what is that? Uh, there's a statement like uh, the enemy of perfection is good or enemy of good is perfection or something. You never get anything out because you never do anything because you want it perfect. That ain't the way it is in law enforcement because there's a lot of mistakes to be made. And in, in any job that we do, just jump in with both feet and run. You got to. I mean, and you have those you have those individuals that that, you know, they like to say that they're police and they'll 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 go sit in their car for 12, eight hours a day. And and they're kind of there and they're just not willing to put themselves out there. But the ones that are willing to put themselves out there and let's say they get embarrassed a time or two. But I mean, as we all know, you know, the uh, the next time you're only the you're only the butt of the joke until the next day when somebody else does something stupid. Oh, Absolutely. So if you're just willing to put yourself out there a little bit in the long run, you'll be so much more well-rounded and experienced that, you know, when it, when it comes time to become that leader or, or be put into a leadership position or, or a, a position of authority, rather, I think people will, or you'll be more apt to, to put yourself out there. You just, you just kind of know a little bit more uh, than other people and people kind of look to you for that, uh, uh, to take the reins because they know you have the courage to put yourself out there. All right, absolutely. You know, this I, you said something about setting back, and it, it reminded me that in today's culture, with the hatred there is for law enforcement, and, and then where there's a lot of people are trying to bait cops into situations so that somebody can video it and whatever. Uh, and then, of course, there's a lot of uh, city agencies uh, that don't back the police officer to back 
to back the police department. I don't mean if they do something wrong, but I mean back them in general. There's sure. a lot of older cops, even some younger ones, but certainly there's a lot of older cops out there that's like, I'm sitting in my car. If if I get a call, I'll go to the call. I'll do what I got to do, but then I'm out. I'm not going to do any proactive policing because proactive policing is going to somehow end me up on a video. And so now I think, and you can tell me what your opinion is on it, I think that that's a disservice because there's a lot of agencies, there's a lot of cities and towns that aren't getting proactive law enforcement much more reactive because if they do mess up, and even if they don't mess up, if it's a perceived problem, the cities aren't backing them. It doesn't have to be a real problem. It could just be a perceived problem, and the officer gets thrown under the bus, and the city protects their, themselves from a lawsuit. Hey, are you seeing that as well across the country? I mean, it's happening everywhere. The kind of the post-Ferguson era. It's yep. a it's a new culture that that we're, we're we're diving into in the law enforcement world, and it's and it's something I don't see going away anytime soon. You know, the political the political spectrum is so polarized right now. Everybody's scared of saying the wrong thing, uh, doing the wrong thing. You know, cops are afraid of being the next YouTube sensation. I think you're seeing uh, one of the major effects and one of the effects we're going to see uh, that, you know, that's going to continue to get worse. And in and, and the long term is, is staffing shortages. People just don't want to be police anymore. They, you know, they don't think that it's that it's that it's worth it anymore to, to have to be on guard all the time. And uh, when, when you see when you see city councils and and police chiefs or whoever just throwing their guys under the bus just to save their own face and their own ego. And just for the, for the, uh, for the purpose of, of, uh, public opinion. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's really sad. Uh, because it's just, there's a lot of value in this profession. That's not monetary. I think that, uh, with the freedom you get, the pride you get from, from working, um, uh, from working with with victims and the community, there's just a lot of a lot of uh, unspoken value and intangibles that you don't get uh, with other careers. And you know, people just don't people aren't they don't know that until they get in it, really. Right. But people aren't willing to 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 apply anymore because of the uh, because of the YouTube sensations and everything they see in the media. Well, you know, there's a. Uh we say a lot of cops will say, well, it gets in our blood. You know, I read an article a while back on retiring, when uh, how a police officer, when he retires, how it affects them. And retiring out of law enforcement is slowly retiring. It's hard enough. If you get retired medically or something, it's just like abruptly. And, you know, it's hard to adjust because, again, I, my position is not a full-time law enforcement. I've taken a part-time position. Of course, I'm still active in death investigation and things like that. Uh, but I'm not on the road every day. I'm not working. I don't have a, a large caseload every day at my department. Uh, and so even at that, uh, I feel unattached. I feel lost sometimes, you know, because they're they're yeah. out doing things that I'm not there all the time, you know, and, and that's just where my, my life has taken me. I've done my career. I've, I, you know, I've been at this 30 some years, still active, but there's that loss. So what you're saying, I agree with, is that there's a camaraderie that gets in your blood. It's just a way of being. And that goes for coroners, medical legal death investigators, cops. It goes for fire and EMS. It goes for everybody that really is involved in the industry. And uh, police agencies or police academies. I know uh, you mentioned Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson is like next door to me. So I oh, lived okay. Ferguson. So I'm in the same state. And, and Ferguson wasn't even... Nobody even heard the term Ferguson. Now it's worldwide. I I, te I speak right. all over the place. And if I start talking about Ferguson, everybody knows Ferguson. 
Because of that, and this is not a political show, facts are facts. Because of that, the administration that was in place at the time, both state and federal, made that problem worse. That's a true fact. That's not an opinion. Um, even the federal government, FBI, would not pick up charges on Darren Wilson because there was no charges to pick up. You know, uh, multiple investigations proven that everything was right and everything was fine. However, the court of public opinion changed that. When the federal government started the, what they started doing, all police academies started declining, just what you said, declining in enrollment because who wants to be a cop in today's world? Well, since the administration has changed, there's been a little bit more um, pro-police out there and academies are starting to pick back up. But this is the same in some of these death investigation roles. We have seen that there's a lot of people that don't want to become medically ill death investigators or even run for coroner elections or work for a large coroner agency because of the scrutiny has gotten so bad. There's still a law enforcement realm. Some states are a little bit different. But sure. it's it's a bad situation because of the whole attitude in America. And I do think that's changing. But again, obviously, police officers and coroners don't do it for the job because they're some of the or for the money because it's the lowest paid out there. You know, and you speak about leadership. You're, you actually are uh, you're taking your career into a, a focus of leadership and helping not only the new guys, but the new sergeants and things like that. And that's kind of what you're focusing on now, right? Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, the. Uh I'm I'm one of the older millennials, and as scary as it sounds, millennials are going to be the majority of the criminal justice system as a whole very soon. And and we're starting to get to a point where you know, like I said, I'm mid career. I'm about 15 years in, and so you're going to start seeing a lot more of us moving into those leadership roles. And so I'm not saying that I'm the voice of the generation of my generation of law enforcement, but I am trying to do my small part to start getting those people uh, to start stepping up to the plate because I don't see things have gotten, I do feel like things have gotten a little bit better, but we're, we're, we are always one incident away from everything falling apart again. Absolutely. And I, I do believe that the silent majority has our back. But again, a lot of times it's so silent. The only things you ever hear are the ones on in the news media and on social media uh, uh, screen, uh, coming out against us. And so, you know, I think, I think uh, millennials really need to start stepping up to the plate. And I, I'm a big believer of you need to be a you need to be a follower before you're a leader. So that way, whenever you're put into a a, 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 a position of uh, leadership, you already you can already start recognizing uh, the next the next generation of leaders. And you need to start leading with before you have the authority to go ahead and put yourself in in that leadership mindset. So that way, whenever you're given that that authority to lead or you're, you're given rank, you're, you're kind of a step a step ahead of the game. And I think that we, we're going to have to start getting our stuff together sooner than later if we want to keep this thing afloat. Right. Well, you're talking uh, about rejecting the uh, millennial entitlement and impatience. Well, what do you mean by that? What, how do we reject that attitude? I think I think there's a lot more. I feel like a lot of times millennials it's kind of like police officers really like you see these millennials on tv screaming about safe spaces and they're screaming at the sky whenever president trump won and you know i i, I really don't believe that that's the majority of my generation i think it's there's there's become there the the just the term millennial has has gotten a negative connotation associated with it 
so much so that people in my generation are now like, well, we're not necessarily millennials. We're subzennials, and they try to make these subcategories like, no, you are what you are. Right. You just got to make it. You can't just start making up stuff just because you don't like the negative connotation associated with it. We just have to own it and push forward. Right. And it's, you know, and I know a lot, a lot of just hard working, just grinding millennials that, that just bust their tails every single day. And, you know, it's not about, and we, we're, there's not some entitlement factor. And, you know, I know some, 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 some folks that, man, they just, they, they have so much perseverance and grit about them. It's just, you know, it goes against completely against the grain about what people, how people perceive millennials. Well, and, you know, all of our generations, our grandparents were saying, I can't believe the way kids act today. And it's been that way for hundreds of years. So so that's going to continue. But I do think that in America today, we are part of its media. Part of it's just culture changes. But, sure. we, you know, there is a lot more softness out there there is a lot more political correctness you know you can't say this word or that word or you got to do and so when it comes to to death investigation we are faced with how do we address transgendered people after death you know there are certain state laws and and then about what we can call them how we refer to them you know missouri still most states still have whatever your birth certificate says is what your death certificate says but now there's places you can change your birth certificate well you know then that puts us in a situation when you're dealing with uh and it's not just all millennials but that's a large portion of sure. of the resistance of how we do this you know we you know we can look at genitalia but that but we then have to document maybe the Sex is one thing, but our gender is another. We have to document a death certificate based upon opposite genitalia. Well, that becomes a mess. I mean, that then that's what we're facing in America today, partly because of this millennial. Uh, you're right. We're blaming it on millennials. That's not fair. But we say it's a millennial attitude, and and it's not everybody. But that's again the phrase that's that's kind of been uh, quoted there. You know, and you know another thing you talk about, which is all ties into this. I believe in that we live in a glass fishbowl. When you're on a scene of a death investigation, it's all spotlights are on you anyway. We live in a glass fishbowl. And you talk about how we should act in and out of uniform, on and off duty, to bring credit to ourselves and our department. Um, speak to that a little bit about, about how you train new recruits and talk to, talk to leaders about that. Well, that's one of the dynamics that I think and you kind of hit on it uh, a few minutes ago that, you know, our grandparents thought, you know, our parents were crazy. Our parents thought we were crazy. It's just like a coming of age for everybody. Everybody's parents and grandparents look at the, look at the, you know, the next generation and they just think, you know, um, they can't, you know, they, they don't have it figured out there, you know, they're dumber than we were. And, and that kind of thing, you know, grandparents looking at Elvis swiveling his hips thinking he was the devil kind of thing. Right. Could you, I mean, could you imagine if whenever our grandparents and our parents were, were our teenagers and Facebook had been around back then, all the mullets and the Camaros and, and the T-tops, you know, all kind of, well, you think about the pictures, but, and that's one of the biggest, I guess one of the biggest things I try to explain to the younger generations is, you know, that's something that nobody's ever had to deal with until now. You know, back in the day, it was kind of hidden in yearbook photos and, you know, uh, posts on a wall now for Facebook was, was in the back of a, in the back of a yearbook saying, you know, take care, see you over the summer, whatever. 
But now it's posted for the world to see and, and people will people will dig it up. And so once you once you put it out there, you better you better be willing to own it and know what you're putting out there because because it's a new world. If um, you know, nothing's really private any, anymore in, a, in, in this digital world. Right. Everything's evolving, just like right. just like us, us speaking now. And, you know, everything, even in the media, um, if you look at the Joe Rogan podcast, which is kind of at the tip of the spear, I guess, for podcasts. And you look at the like the, the top news show on Fox or wh- whatever it is. Joe Rogan's show destroys them in terms of rating and, view- and viewership. So even just the media in general is evolving. And so and I, and I tried to explain that to, to kids is, you know, once you're out there, you can't you got to be careful with you because you have your everybody has their own brand. Right. As soon as they become a law enforcement, it's no longer, you know, um, so and so did this. It's so and so the cop did this. Yes. And so once you once you once you get that badge, you get sworn in for the rest of your life. It's either a former officer, former deputy, even if you get out of it, it it's still got that 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 association. Yeah, you mess up and you end up in the newspaper, it's going to say former deputy or deputy or whatever. They will definitely put that before your name. Even if you yeah. haven't been in law enforcement for 20 years, they're going to refer back to that if they if they know it and they're thinking it can get ratings. And it's not just social media, which is a big thing. But, you know, I tell I tell new recruits that I end up talking to coming in, I, and I see these new recruits coming into our sheriff's department. I mean, they look like they're 12. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't, you know... They're young and, and whatever, and I guess I look back at some pictures, and I looked 12 back then as well. So <laughs> that that's fine. Uh, you know. But I tell them, first off, you don't need to be going to bars. But if you have a reason why you want to go to a bar, don't go to a bar in your town. Don't go to a bar in your county. Drive two counties away. Do something. Uh, you know, watch where you go, who you associate with. Yeah, I know your best friend from high school. You guys are fishing buddies. I'm not saying you have to give up your friends. But, you know, if he's actively cooking meth and has three felony warrants, that's probably not somebody you need to hang around. Right, um, yeah. I had a friend of mine that we were friends for a long time. I really liked him. And, and in fact, he was a cop. And he messed up, had a, got a divorce. It was a messy situation. Uh, he ended up hooking up with the wrong friends. He ended up being arrested for manufacturing methamphetamine. I, I don't even know how he lost his mind. But during this time, I would talk to him and I would call him and, and I would say, why are you so stupid? I mean, straight up, why are you so stupid? Well, and I told him, I said, look, I love you. You're my friend. I really, really want to spend time with you. However, we're done. I can't be with you. I can't go fishing. Nothing. If you need me, call me. I'll talk to you. But that's about it. I can't be associated with you. And it it was a bad deal. But anyway, life went on. He got arrested. He's fine. He's over it. It's been years. He's good. He's good. Not not law enforcement, but he's doing fine. But during that time, I could not associate with him. And if I continued to, then the credit of myself and my department would get drugged down. And so that's what I tell people. When you enter this field of law enforcement, death investigation, things like that, it your world is not your your personal time is not always your personal time anymore. That's right. um, you know, people have affairs on their spouses all the time. Happens a lot in the law enforcement realm. You have an affair while you're in law enforcement and it's a public situation or with a public person, you're, you're done. I mean, I know there's unions and there's laws and things like that. Your credibility shot, whether you agree with it or not, we, mm-hmm. we don't get by with what everybody else gets by with. No, you're right. The, uh, and, and I got a, so quick story, just kind of uh, touching on that. 
whenever I was kind of first getting started in law enforcement and it was probably the first moment I realized, okay, I'm different than all of my friends. That's not cops. So I, we had went to a wedding that day and we went to a, a local establishment to have a drink. It was very low key. There was nobody else in the bar um, except another group of uh, folks that had actually been at another wedding. And I could tell that they were getting a little rambunctious. They had too much to drink. Well, coming in, I, I had opened up my ID, showed it to the bouncer, the security guy sitting outside, and he saw my badge. He made kind of some kind of remark like, oh, you know, uh, if I need your help, I'll, I'll let you know or, or something, you know, some kind of goofy cop joke. But um, so, I, so I go in and they're getting a little bit more rowdy and a little bit more rowdy. And finally, the guy goes over there to tell him to calm down. And we're just kind of we're just literally maybe one beer in. Maybe we're just sitting there with some appetizers and a beer. And uh, they start grabbing a hold of the guy. Like, like getting physical with him. Well, he, of course, he looks over to me and starts yelling for help. So I'm like, oh, crap. And so I'm trying to de-escalate it, you know, like, come on, guys. This, if, you, if you don't mind, just give the guy a break, you know, move on to another, you know, whatever. Well, one of the guys grabs me. My friend hits that guy. And then we're still just trying to get him to leave. And this girl, and it's burned into my brain, she looks right at me and she's like, you just hit me. And I looked at her and I was like, what? I didn't touch you. She's like, well, that's what, that's what I'm going to tell the police when they get here. And I was like, and at that moment, it was like, oh, like it, it wouldn't have been just, you know, uh, a bar ruckus, you know, in the newspaper. It would be, you know, Officer Wilson, you know, from such and such accused of. Yeah. And who, who am I to? Then it's up to me to, to, to prove them wrong. Right. You know, you, you know, here's some aggressive cop. And and it was just like, this makes me different than everybody else. Cause, you know, I got friends that are in that are carpenters and in real estate. And, you know, that's not a sexy story, you know, but the local cop, you know, is accused of hitting a girl in a bar fight, mm-hmm. you know, that makes it newsworthy. And Absolutely. so that and I use that story as an example, like, you know, something as innocent. And just having a, a drink with some friends afterwards could turn out really bad. Now I'm not saying go home and be a hermit, right. <laughs> you know, obviously you got to live a life, but just, you got to be, you got to be very careful about your surroundings and what you do, because just an accusation these days can ruin your entire career. And it only takes an accusation That's because right. the news media can get a hold of it. And then once it's proven to be wrong, well, again, let's go back to Ferguson. Ferguson is still Ferguson in people's minds, however they wish to believe it. Facts do not matter. It's however they wish to spin the story or what they wish to believe. Those who believe that Ferguson, you know, that Darren Wilson did do something wrong, they're going to believe that and just say, well, the government covered it up, right? It it don't matter what the facts are. And and unfortunately, uh, if you get in a fight, you'd have a domestic with your wife or you're in the wrong place or whatever. You just, your life changes. And, even in a medical examiner's office, yeah, they don't—they're not necessarily law enforcement officials, but they—they they have a, a level of integrity that they have to maintain. They, because of their job and their truthfulness and their investigation, you know, they're just as likely to get pulled into something like that. Uh, and it, it just—we're our life isn't our own anymore. And and with that, it becomes another topic, and probably the last topic we'll discuss. But it's something that I'm very. Uh, vocal on, and that's officer mental health. And one of the statements, and I'll kind of read it here, one of the statements that you uh, talk about in your book is um, learn how, no, no, maybe back up, discover how authentic cops don't need to prove they're tough, but they better heed to mental 
fitness, their mental health. And, and, and I guess you're, you know, that's one thing that mental health is a huge thing when it comes to our field and our industry. We see the worst of the worst all the time. And then we have to go home and pretend like everything's okay with our kids and whatever. And sometimes we put a shell on that's going to happen. Shells are, unfortunately we have, we get shells, mm-hmm. but that comes out on this, you know, I'm a tough SOB and let me show you how tough I am. And all we're doing is hiding some of the fears and the, and the mental health issues that we're having. So address that. And how do you talk to some of these leaders to look at this mental health issue? So, that, so that, that's kind of twofold. So the, the authentic part and, and, and the mental side on one side is, you know, I see a lot of guys come in and they have the, these preconceived notions about, you know, what a, what an officer is. Right. And so a lot of people and I did the same thing. A lot of people come in, they think they're tough guys and, you know, they haven't ever been punched in the face. Right. And so they come in and they try to put on this uh, this uh, this macho attitude. They try to act like they're so tough and they care more about peer perception a lot of times than they do the the community. And so a lot of times you'll see them, uh, you know, trying to act tough or they're trying to you know, they're trying to prove themselves. And it's not needed. You know, I, I need I don't need no more tough cops. I need cops that's themselves. Right. So that's one of the first steps in my in my approach to developing a leader is just authenticity. Just just be yourself. That's that because that's if you're if you're always trying to be something else, you're never focused on what you should be focused on. And so so that's kind of that part and always being mentally strong enough to be your own thinker. Don't let other people's opinions form your own. Don't let those those salty old veterans that. You know, just not, they don't know how to communicate other than cynicism at this point. And that goes back to the kind of the mental health side. Right. And so if, if you're cynical and negative long enough, that just becomes the way you communicate. Absolutely. You will, you will not. That's just the you learn. That's all you know how to do. Right. That's all the way. And that's the only way you know how to talk at that point. And it's just it's like a cancer within an organization. It just destroys it. And then you then you compound that with the biology of our brains going from an armed robbery to pushing a car out of the road, you know, a shooting to now we're helping somebody find their, you know, their lost dog. I don't know. And it's just granted. It's not a, cause a lot of people, you know, they associate PTSD and these other, these mental, other kind of mental health uh, aspects with these, you know, these huge tragic situations, but that's not necessarily the case, you know, for cops after 20 years, of yes. that just up, down, up, down, up, down, it really, really weighs on you. And collectively, you can start to see kind of uh, a mental health deterioration in that in that officer, in that individual. And so I'm a very big proponent of going and talking to somebody even before you don't think you need to. Um, when you see, and I can, I can speak from experience, that there's without a doubt, from the time I started to right now, I have 100% have, I have changed. Yes. Um, I, the, the job changes you. It, it, and, and maybe it's because of that roller coaster of, of adrenaline dumps and whatever it is. But I have definitely changed, you know, and you see it a lot in, in mar- declining marriages, yeah. you know, where, you know, maybe your spouse is trying to tell you about their day and you're just very dismissive because it's like that's, you, you know, you think that's nothing. And it's just you just become you kind of become just a, a bad person to be around and a lot of times with your friends and family. And, and so at least the, you know, the, the, the studies on alcoholism, the, the high death rates after retirement. And it's just, 
it, it, it all stems from the mental health side of things. And I think that's one of the things, hopefully, that the uh, millennial generation can really, really, since it's kind of coming into the spotlight now, I'm really hoping that the millennial generation can really just uh, drive home the, the the mental side of it because you can measure cortisol, you know, you can me- you can measure the stress hormones, right. and you, you can and you can see you can see literally how how close somebody is kind of to that burnout and that that period where they're getting ready to really mess up instead of just that that psych psych exam, which I guess they're needed when you first get hired, but let's be honest. I mean, a 21 year old kid coming out of college has never had to, has never been exposed to a suicide or any kind of death or anything. You know, there's there's psychosis. They're probably going to be pretty good. You know, they haven't really haven't been exposed to anything to to really harm it. Yeah, but those psych exams, I've taken a couple of them, and they're absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I I, I know that every there's different ones by different departments, things like that. But I can remember taking one 30 years ago. And I was coming out of the army and I was applying for different, uh, different positions. And this was a multi-page. We didn't have like internet tests then multi-page check mark thing. And they asked the same question repetitively, only they changed the wording around, you know, like I have thoughts of killing my mother. I remember that was one of the questions. Well, I guess if I'm stupid enough to say yes, then I, you're right. I shouldn't be a cop. Right. Right, Yeah. But, but still, and there was on and on. It was about sex with animals. It was about different. I don't. I don't even remember them all. But I remember this moment. How stupid! And then as I went on through law enforcement, I was a lieutenant with the detective bureau. I was hiring people. I was involved in some hiring interviews, things like that. And we did have a, a modified uh, test like that, not nearly as large. But then. Didn't we just kind of got rid of it because it didn't really tell us anything. Again, like you said, we've got somebody coming in fresh out of the academy, 21, 22 years old, and we're trying to determine his mental capability of being a police officer. Well, I, that test don't all don't necessarily now personality tests. I agree with. I think personality tests, they really work. Um, I've taken a few different ones and I'm like, wow, that's pretty accurate you know right so, yeah so personality tests are good because then that tells commands if okay this is this person's personality so based upon that this is how he's going to react or i can put him with this partner and this they're gonna those are fine uh and stuff like that but trying but some and then if a person's been in a job like you have 15 years you go to move to another position somewhere in another place and you take that exam you're going to score way different than a new kid would on on that psychology thing and it doesn't mean that you're wrong i mean it doesn't mean that you still want to kill your mother it's just that they don't work and and i think i think we're doing a disjustice an injustice by giving those exams but then what we don't do like you alluded to is starting to happen we give those exams when you hire them but then throughout their career there's nothing else now Right. Luckily, that's starting to change but the but the old salty guys will say oh toughen up you know, you, you just, the way it is, toughen up. We don't need psychiatrists. You don't need to see a counselor. That's not true. The, and, and if a person knows that their mental health is in jeopardy, then if they go throughout their career and they do see counselors or they do talk to somebody, I, journaling, I, I don't really do journal myself, but whatever helps, right? That is a big key because if they do nothing, eventually it will it will all come out in a bad way. Absolutely. And, and that kind of just to piggyback off of that, you know, because there is that 
there is that kind of stereotype that you got to be tough. You got to suck up and move forward. And that, but that, it goes back to one of my points of being, being your own thinker and don't let other people's opinions form your own. If you think you need to talk to somebody, have the courage to go talk to somebody. Right. Who, who cares what these guys think? Like have the courage to be like, you know what? I appreciate it, but I, you know, I'm going to do what I think is, is, is best for me. And yeah, you know, if they were, and I, I'm right there with you on the test. I think we took the same test because I remember those same kind of questions. And it's just like, who's failing this thing? I don't know anybody that's failed it. Right. I mean, who, who's going? Who is going in there and being like, "Yep, I hear voices. I want to kill my mom." You know, it's it's crazy. Right. And you know, I, I'm like, you know, if they really want to check, and I know there's probably some people that'd be like, you know, that would probably kill me, kill me for uh for suggesting it, but you know, doing them every five years, 10 years. And cause a lot of people would be scared of, you know, well, what if they, what if they take my badge? What if they take my, you know, so there's a lot of that, but I mean, I think there's gotta be something that could be done just to, cause we take physicals every year, a lot of us. And, you know, there's nothing really out there on the mental side of stuff. Well, and, one of the things that I have talked about and, and I, it doesn't happen in my area, but first off, if you walk into your Lieutenant's office, your captain's office, your chief, and you say, look, I'm having issues. Um, if it's suicidal issues, they're going to set you down. They're going to take your gun away from you. And you may or may not go back to work. Right. right. Um, they don't have, they can find a reason to fire you. That's, that's not hard for them to find that. But so, but then if you don't have insurance or good insurance, you got to pay for private counsel. It's, it's expensive. One of the things that I've advocated is in small, again, a lot of departments are small. They don't have a lot of money. I wish there could be regional, so here, so get this. There's five or six police departments, a couple of sheriff's offices, things like that. One of them within a, an area is probably going to be fairly larger. And you all get together and you decide how much per officer are we going to pay. So then we throw it in this big pot and we hire a counselor or a counselor company or something where there's one or two counselors. Okay, so now if you hold an ID badge for any town USA, you can call, make an appointment, go in, and nobody knows about it. That the, the the department is so it's expensive. Well, it's not as expensive when five or six or eight agencies are throwing a little money in every year to provide this. Well, then sure. officers can make a phone call, uh, get on chat like we're on today, uh, go walk into the office where it's anonymous. Now they have a help. Now they can go in as they please, and command staff doesn't know about it. I haven't seen a program like that. I know large departments have their own counseling type system, but a regional multi-jurisdictional i've never seen it but i talk about it a lot thinking maybe somebody will pick up on the idea and say huh how can we get this i've talked about it in my area it's money i get it but but it is starting to become a little bit more talked about because we're realizing we have a problem and now it's like okay maybe it isn't as expensive because this department here only has five guys they don't have to pay nearly as much as this department that has there, you know, a hundred guys. So I, I think it's something that will work. I mean, just on the surface, would you think that as an idea or would you think in your area, it wouldn't work? Um, I know. I think it would be, uh, I think anything, I will be an advocate for anything that anybody comes up with that uh, can get guys in front of somebody just to talk to somebody. Right. Uh, the, 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 the statistics on alcoholism, uh, depression, um, divorce rates. It's just through the roof. Yeah. And, and there's plenty of studies out there that show that, you know, cops, you know, we're dying faster than people We're we're, we're, you know, it's just, we're leading, we're leading the charge in so many areas 
and, and I and I keep saying that the divorce and alcoholism and, and and the death rates after we retire from the stress and suicides is through the roof. I think I just saw a study there. I think maybe uh, or not a study, but a news article mentioned NYPD had like four this week wow. or something ridiculous. It's just, you know, something has to be done. And it's not just from from being, you know, uh, it's not from being overweight, but it, it certainly applies to it because that cortisol, we right. tend to, you know, we tend to. Uh, uh, that stress tends to make us whole weight in our bellies. And, you know, you start seeing all these cops that have these bellies, you start thinking, well, maybe, you know, there, maybe there is some kind of uh, affiliation there, but, um, but no, I think that if we could get, you know, get something organized where people could, cause I, I know what you're saying as far as like different agencies have their own counseling systems, you know, they have their different, you know, the EAP and that type thing for, uh, for, and that may be, may be for the entire, uh, 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 city organization or municipality, uh, not necessarily just for the police, but if I think it would be beneficial if, like you said, with if all several agencies could go into one and have somebody specific to po- specific for police and not necessarily just the general population, right? Yeah, because it's different. Police officers, coroners, medical examiners, people like that deal with things differently than the street department and the sewage department. I mean, right. you know, if the city provides for everybody, the counseling needs to know specifics when it comes to the police officers and things like that. Well, in the few minutes we have left, Adam, let's talk about Tactical Reload. And I know there's a subtitle. So Tactical Reload is the book you wrote. Tell us the title, subtitle, and a little bit about what our listeners could find in this leadership book you wrote. Sure. So uh, the book is Tactical Reload, Strategy Shifts. Uh, for emerging leaders in law enforcement, and there's kind of three dynamics to the book. The first part is is my own backstory, and I use it as an example of hard work works. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the the I'm definitely not the biggest or most most athletic, but I feel like I've been somewhat successful in my career thus far. You know, I come from uh, from somewhat humble beginnings as far as you know. I'm a high school dropout at one point. Um, at one point, my, there's a famous story, not really famous, but people always talk about the, uh, I lived in this trailer with no power, no working sewage, no furniture. And, you know, um, but you just have to be able to, to grit it out and, and keep pushing forward. And if you can do that, you, you can do whatever you want to. I'm not a believer in privilege. I'm a believer in hard work. And and I use my own backstory to kind of exemplify that, that you don't need a, a perfect background to get into law enforcement that it actually it helps you see things through a different lens when you don't have a, you know, uh, a pristine background. Um, the second part of it is, is kind of the, it's kind of geared towards the newer guys and in kind of uh, uh, the advice portions that I wish I would have had, you know, you know, to be careful as far as the influence of cynicism and how much uh, influence you have over one another, uh, being authentic, being your own thinker, the, those steps to those first steps to leadership in law enforcement. And just look them some different ideas on how we can how we can use technology to our benefits. And then the last portion is it, I, I thought I would be di- doing a disservice to the book and to the guys reading the book if I didn't interview some of the, the leaders and influencers across the country and gain their perspectives. And so I spoke with Mark Devine. I've spoke with Tim Kennedy. I spoke with Atlanta's chief, Erica Shields, um, Joe Lombardo from Las Vegas. Uh, Dave Reichert, the former sheriff and then now former congressman uh, who chased around around the Green River Killer for for 20 years out in Washington State. I uh, went up and did, a, did an interview with him and just gained their perspectives on what they see, uh, how the future uh, looks to them and how and what millennials can do and younger generations can do to kind of uh, be more effective whenever we take over the reins of leadership because we, we're going to 
regardless if people want us to or not. And so um, the way I wrote the book was I, I didn't write, you know, I didn't write some Tim Ferriss, you know, 500 page book. I wanted it to be, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, if, if most comps are like me, they're, they're, you know, they have the attention span of nothing. And so I wanted it to be an easy read, quick read. And so it is a couple hundred pages, but it's a, it's a, it's a very easy read, easy to digest. And, and that's what I want. I want these new guys and women uh, to read the book and hopefully they get something out of it. And, uh, and hopefully they let somebody borrow it. Right, right. No, I think it'd be fantastic. So, Adam, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing with our listeners on the Corner Talk podcast. I appreciate what you're doing at your career and what you've done with your career to pass it on to others. I think it's admirable. And I, I always said that everybody has something that they can teach and everybody needs to figure out how to leave some type of a legacy. Don't have to write a book. Don't have to become a speaker. But we can all at least lead and pour into the people in our own department, and our own agencies, so that we're making the next generation better than what we found it. And I, and I believe in that. And I think we all have that ability, even if you're not considered a public speaker. You still have sure. the ability to to help and to, to, to give back what you've learned. And of course you've done it on a, on a larger national scale, but that's fantastic. We need, we need you to do that. But even if you're listening right now and you're like, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I'm not going to do all that. That's fine. But what about the new guys that just started? Can you maybe jump around them and say, Hey guys, here's some, what I've learned. Here's some good, some bad, and just help them out. You know, do you, you would agree with that? I'm sure Adam. Oh, absolutely. Everybody, as soon as you put on the badge, whether you're, you know, an introvert or extrovert, but as soon as you put on the badge and you put on that gun belt, you're a leader in the community and especially to the new guys. The new guys are very impressionable. They're looking at you. They're watching the way you act. They're watching what you say. And that's how they, they, that's how they look at how, how they should act. So your level of influence, no matter how much time you have in, is you have much more influence than you ever think you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Adam, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. We'll hope to have you back on it soon. All right. Thank you very much. All right. I'm right back with you live here, so to speak. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adam. He was a great guest. He really added a lot, I think, to the conversation. And you might be wondering, well, how what did I get out of that? I'm not a cop. I'm a coroner. I'm a medical examiner. I'm an investigator. Well, let me tell you. What you face in your everyday life and what police officers face in their everyday life is a lot of times the same. I know this because I wear both hats. I'm a police officer. I have been for over 30 years. I work at the coroner's office. I've done that for over 20 years. So I understand what it is like to be on both sides. Now, in my particular situation, they mesh, but I still understand what both sides go through. And so what we talked about today applies to you if you're in the emergency medical field, if you're a firefighter, if you're a police officer, if you're a coroner, it applies completely to you as well. And if you want to find out more about Adam, his website is adamlwilson.com, adamlwilson.com. And of course, his book, Tactical Reload, can be found on Amazon, can be found at his website, adamlwilson.com. But also, I will have a link to it in the show notes at cornertalk.com. You find this episode, and of course, it'll be in the show notes, and you can go to there from the cornertalk.com. But if you would like to receive a free copy of Tactical Reload, I am giving away a Kindle version of this book to one lucky person. And here's what you have to do to enter go to cornertalk.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and there's a place at the very, very bottom that says, sign up for our newsletter. Put your email address in there and hit 
submit. Now, you're going to get a welcome email then from the Death Investigation Academy, which, of course, is our parent. So you will get a few notifications of trainings. You'll get some notifications of other things. But we don't beat you up. You're not going to get spammed. We don't sell your email. If you're already on our list and you know that that we do not send you much information, maybe a new article, maybe an upcoming training that's in your area, something you take advantage of, but we're not spammy. However, it will take you being on that list so that we can pick one person off that list to give the Kindle edition of this book to. If after that drawing is over, you wish to unsubscribe, then it's perfectly fine and dandy for you to do that. But you're going to have to be on the list so that I can pick a winner. And I'm not personally picking them. The Google random number will pick them. And so whoever that corresponds with will win that. And of course, use your best email because that's going to be email that I will, and number one, notify you of that you're a winner. And number two, be sending you the link to your Kindle edition. Now, Kindle can be used on the Kindle reader, iPad, Android, even on a PC laptop. So you can read it anywhere. So if you want your copy of Tactical Reload, and you want to enter for free, you've got to do that soon because when this episode comes out, it's the second full week of July. We are going to run this through the end of July 2019. So the first week of August, we'll pick our winner and notify them. So if you're listening to this after July 2019, you missed out on it, but keep listening and we'll have other giveaways. But if you're not on our mailing list now, you need to get there today so that you can be entered to win your copy of Tactical Reload. Okay, so with that said, I'm going to let you go. It's a beautiful summer day, night, wherever you're at. Uh, I'm sure that you're very busy, but I appreciate you spending an hour uh, with Adam and I today. Remember, if you're needing online training, we're here for you. If you haven't got your subscription to the Death Investigator magazine, you need to do that. It's still only $24.99. If you are a Kickstarter supporter back a year ago and you have not renewed, your subscription is about to run out. So make sure you jump on to deathinvestigatormagazine.com and either renew your subscription or get a new subscription. And remember, like I say every week, folks, Find a way to be a blessing to those around you and it will come back to you tenfold. I promise you this. Test me on this. And if you find that it's not true over time, then you let me know and I'll admit that you failed. But I promise you, you will not fail. Until next week, everybody, please, please, please be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617-1024 scene en route to morgue.